This is a wee bit of everything. The podcast that explores all things sport and teaching. Hello there and welcome to the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast with your hosts Lewis and Clark. Thanks for coming back to tune in to this week's episode. We really are amazed by all the support we have received from everyone so far. Our partner of the podcast is Premiership Experience who have played a big role in helping us develop. Premiership Experience offer fantastic sports tours within the UK and abroad so be sure to check them out on Twitter at Prem Experience. This is a professional learning platform where we get ideas and insights from like-minded professionals. Our vision is to inspire, to teach and to entertain. So let's get started with this week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. This week on the A Wee Bit of Everything podcast, we are joined by former Rangers scout Ewan Chester. During Ewan's time at Rangers, he has collected over 35 trophies and he's spent 20 odd years there over two spells. Ewan also spent 10 years in England with Fulham, Norwich, Birmingham and Brighton, mainly working for Chris Hutton. So he's been working down south as well as up north, as Lewis was saying, in in Scotland. Um, And tonight he's going to come on and talk about his relationship with the manager and the scouting team and and the clubs he's worked in. He's also going to talk about his biggest achievement in his career and what leadership skills were most important to help achieve, achieve it. So without further ado, we'll get Ewan Chester on to a wee bit of everything. Right, hi Ewan, welcome to the Wee Bit of Everything podcast, uh, thanks for coming on tonight, How how's things? Yeah, fine, fine, good. Uh, it's, it's really good to have you on the podcast, we've been kind of back and forth over the last few while and That's uh, correct. due to kind of other circumstances we've not been able to get you on but um, really thanks for, uh, really need to thank you for your time tonight and we're looking forward to chatting about scouting and, and football in general so, yep. so before we get into that then would you be able to give us and the listeners a little background information on your career to date? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I, I played, you know, I, I played in Scotland and England. Actually, had a short spell at Hong Kong Rangers too. Um, but uh, I had an illness when I was playing in England, uh, playing at Workington. So I was out for a couple of years. Um, I took my coaching badges in England initially. And uh, my roommate was a former Scotland international, Willie Donachie. And Willie at that time was in the verge of joining Oldham. So he asked me to get involved in scouting, uh, which I, I was more than happy to do. I was playing non-league at the time. Right. So got involved in the scouting side. That led to a move to Rangers. Uh, and obviously, you know, that, that was a, the cream of my career, if you like, 20 years there and two spells. Um, when the first spell ended, which... At that particular time, probably the financial problems 20 years ago were just starting to emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, th- there were changes at the club. So I had six months at Livingston with Richard Goff and Archie Knox, where we inherited uh, <laughs> a team that was adrift at the foot of the league, managed to keep them up. End of that season, I uh, had uh, talks with three English Premier League clubs Decided to go to Fulham, which was a great move. Uh, Chris Coleman was the manager. Two years there, very enjoyable. And then Walter Smith returned to Rangers. So obviously I went back for the the second spell, for Walter's second spell in charge. Um, And after that, um, I moved back down to England. Worked primarily with Chris Hutton uh, at three clubs at uh, Birmingham City. Nordic City and Brighton and Hove Albion and uh, even laterally when Chris was at Notts Forest last season and at the beginning of this uh, I worked on a non-contract basis there to help him right. so that, that's basically where we are at the minute Yes, yeah, so you've had a lot of experience then so how assuming you went to Rangers then how did that come about then how did you end up with a move to such a big club so, so early on well I, I mean foot, football's a village and uh, you know, the, the uh, you, you moved to, to Rangers then, came about early, which was great for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lucky that um, I had four managers in my spell at Rangers. Graham yep. Soonis, Walter Smith, twice. 
Dick Advocate and Alex McLeish. So, uh, you know, you're working with a, a wide uh, variety of manager, really, you know, which, yeah. which again is extension experience. So, see, see, in terms of your relationship with the manager, like you've had like four different managers and then yeah. Chris Hutton and Chris Coleman as well, do they, do they tell you the type of player that they're looking for or how, how does that relationship work? Because I think it's a two way street. It is a two-way street, and you know the the games um, the the games changed in the in the last number of years. Obviously, there's a lot more data, a lot more uh, analysis based. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, particularly at, at that time, I think the relationship between the for this you're called chief scout or head of recruitment. I was actually director of football recruitment at Norwich. That relationship with the manager's key, but when it's a close relationship like Walter, like Chris, you basically know what type of player they look for. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, I, I could say that's a player for Walter Smith and Archie Knox. Mm-hmm. That's a player for Chris Hutton. And, you, you, and when you've got stability in the club, you would try and work maybe... Um, maybe two, three transfer windows ahead. Right. Because you're aware of which of your own players have gone out of contract, mm-hmm. where there might be a problem, where a player basically um, you think he's replacing. Mm-hmm. So you try and preempt that. When you get stability in a club, that's when you can plan ahead. So you, you'll be sitting, you, you would be with the manager on a daily basis. But as seasons evolve, you, you, you know what, surgery a team needs or mm-hmm. if a player's likely to be leaving at the end of his contract things like that so you can preempt a lot of things but um it's very important that you've got a close relationship and be- very important that you know system of manager's going to play type of football he wants to play and and uh, which players he rates Mm. Yeah, is there like a set criteria that then that you would need to follow, or is it just basically on your own judgment based on the type of type of football that the manager's playing that you're obviously scouting for? Well, it, it, I mean, ultimately, the manager signs the players. Yeah, you know, so you, you um, as I say, it's become complicated by the fact that now there's probably um, a lot more people in recruitment departments that are aware five, ten years ago, mm-hmm. where, you know, I, I had my own team of scouts. And I mean, when I was in England, I, I was fortunate enough to have a, a former captain of Scotland, former captain of England, former captain of Wales among my staff. So highly experienced people that I trusted. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it comes to me. I head the department and, and I deal with the manager. So as I say, um, you would then propose and not a huge list of players because that takes away accountability yeah you you, you would have a, a short list of players for each position an ongoing short list of players so if you've got a, a midfield player out of contract or um you need to improve that position you would you'd have this ongoing list at your elbow mm-hmm. um but you would have a priority now how, how it would work I would then go to, let's, let's say, Walter and Archie. They would have the final look and they would make the final decision. But I would give them my recommendation. Mm. Yeah, um, and would, they, would they come with you quite a lot of the time and travel to, to see the kind of final verdict? Well, they, they would. And um, I mean, that, that was a great part of my education where Archie in particular, um, we would go down see games in England almost on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Now, you'd be seven or eight hours in the car uh, <laughs> making that return trip. And, and, and that was an absolute education for me. Yeah. Because you're talking teams, players, systems. But, um, you know, the, the, the thing is that you've got to realise in scouting, and if it's physical scouting, I appreciate a lot of it now is technical scouting, where, where it's done uh, on a video evidence or, or film evidence so a lot of the elimination would be done in that way uh, and and probably in the best scenario that would take you to players that you want to see 
mm-hmm. play live. Yeah. But back in the day, the bulk of your skeleton was obviously done live, mm-hmm. which you then might back up with at the time videos or DVDs to confirm or, or, or whatever. But um, you had to realise at that time, probably 95% of the, the time was elimination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's many instances. I mean, just one, I, I can remember at Rangers, Claudio Reyna. That, that was a player. I went to a game in Germany to watch somebody else. Reyna played well. And, and it was one that came to our attention months later. Months later. So, you know, a lot of the time, um, you're, you're going there, you're, you, there's 22 players in the field, and it may be somebody rather than the target that emerges. The other mm-hmm. thing, particularly in, maybe not so much now, but when you relied on live scouting, you sat beside people in the, in the stand <coughs> from other clubs, and it was amazing how much you picked up. There are games where there's no interest coming from the park, but you pick up something, maybe even over a coffee at half time. Yep. Mm-hmm. A, a bit of information about a player's contract or a recommendation, whatever. So there's many, many ways for players to emerge. But yeah, I mean, what, what you were saying, the, um, the manager would come with you. Yeah, and uh, he, 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 you know, ultimately, it's it's his call. Yeah. Uh-huh. <coughs> so, as, as, as Rangers fans, then, and any Rangers fans that are listening, was there any? Obviously, there were some big names that were nearly signed over the years. Was yeah. there? Was it Yard Yardell? Were you there when I was yeah. doing a bit of research uh, earlier on? I seen that. Yeah. Actual photo of him, as if he'd signed him, but obviously it didn't work out. Was no, there any, it, any other big names that we almost signed? Well, part for John Hartson. There, there were a few. Um, I mean, what, one that actually was a, a frustration was John Hartson. Right. Because he failed the medical, but Archie came up with him when he was at Luton, uh, oh, before yeah. he went to Arsenal. And he was just one who always kept tabs on him. And at that particular time, Martin O'Neill had come to Celtic and, and they probably bullied us in, in some games. And I, I thought John Hartson would be a super signing. Unfortunately, there was a medical issue, but mm-hmm. um, you know I think John would have done particularly well for Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, what one that really frustrated myself back in the day was Tim Cahill when he was at Millwall, and I, I, I was very very keen uh, to see yeah. him come. He was on a Bosman. Um, and was that just that before he went through? Was that just before it, it, he went to Everton then? Was that just... Before he went to Everton. Oh, he's a top um, player. And I, I, I actually said to Alec McLeish, and Alec liked him, but I actually said to Alec McLeish, I won't go and see him again because my mind's made up. Mm. You know, I could write my report before I go. Yeah, so right. that, yeah. that was a frustrating one. But um, yeah, the, the, there's one or two, but you know, everybody could give you cases of, of, yeah. of ones that were nearly signings how do you decide then like you so say you said you were obviously in charge of a team of scouts how do you yeah. decide like what teams and stuff are going down to watch down south or if it's even in scotland do you just kind of is that kind of randomized or have you got a kind of does well, it just out cover a set region or something no i mean you 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 would watch um you would you would watch players and uh, you know so it's, it's a strange one because the best bit of advice i was given was um, in the 90s when Bosman came in, agents would recommend the same player to Rangers, Celtic, Liverpool, United, so Arsenal. So you're going to games in Europe and you're meeting the same people who've obviously had the same players proposed to them. Um, and I became friendly with Roy Evans, with his manager of Liverpool, who, who used to bring along the, the fellow that was chief scout back in the the days of Bill Shankly, Tom Saunders. And, and Tom passed away many years ago, but he gave me a bit of super advice. Um, he said, don't go and see a player too often because if you've seen him two or three times and you're sure, then go with that because you'll, otherwise you'll start to think of what he can't do well mm-hmm. and, and look for weaknesses. And as he said, there's not too, too many perfect players about. Mm-hmm. So... Bearing that in mind, there were very few cases where 
if I didn't go myself, your scouts in England were regionalised. So if a certain player that we were interested in was in their area, they would check him out. Mm. Maybe at home, maybe playing away. One I can think when I was at Fulham, um, we watched Julian Lescott, mm-hmm. who was at Wolves at the time. And um, that that would have been a big transfer for us uh, with the cash involved. So I, I did, I think I saw six of his last 10 games. So I broke my own rule in that one, but it was uh, wanted to be absolutely certain. Mm-hmm. But um, no, you, 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 you would always um, plan your games. I, w- I would phone the scouts at the, the beginning of the week and um, I, I, I would plan the programme based on what we need. What, what, uh, as I say, if you can look ahead, that, that's even better. You're, you're then looking for maybe the, the transfer window after the next one. You're also aware of players' contract situations, who's, who's going to be available in a year or going into the last year of their contract. So, you know, it's quite a complex one. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you would do all your planning. And there were times when I can remember Archie saying at Ibrox, um, on a Tuesday night, everybody's out watching games. So all the, the, the full-time staff, including the reserve coaches, I would find games for. Now, there might only be eight games on that night. We would cover six. But somebody might come back with a player. Mm-hmm. So that leads you on to the next step. Excuse me, where you, where you go and watch them yourself or you get them watched by one of the regional scouts and then you go yourself. So it's quite... Uh, quite uh, There's a lot of people involved. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. It seems like, um, obviously, one of the main things is, as a scout, between you and the managers like that, obviously trust, like trust in your judgment. Um, yeah. That, that kind of leads me on to my next question then. So in terms of your career as like a, a head scout then, what would your class as like your biggest achievement and what were the leadership skills that were most important? Um, biggest achievement would be probably being part of nine in a row at Rangers because it was such a unique time. Mm-hmm. And... and uh, you know, I think I think for a lot of the people involved, we were living the dream. Yeah. Um, so that that was a special time. Um, but I, I I think the biggest um, quality and Walter Smith, huge example of this is just man management. Yeah. You, you know, he managed the staff as well as he managed the players, mm. and. Um, you actually reached the situation, with, particularly Walter Nash. I mean, not all the, the four managers I've named at Rangers uh, had qualities. You know, somebody like Graham Soon is a legend. Mm-hmm. But I think you actually got to a stage, and you probably would speak to some of the, the key players at the time. With Walter Nash, you actually wanted to do well for them as well as the club. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you've got staff and players with that attitude you've cracked it yeah 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 you know but what what i tried to do and as i say i i guys in my scouting staff particularly in england had been top top players themselves and played at a higher level than me but you try to uh manage them well you know and and uh you showed them respect but also you know you got respect back by their commitment um, so I, th- I think man management is a, a massive part of the relationship between the manager and, and the head of recruitment, but also between him and his own mm-hmm. staff. So in terms of recruitment, was, was your job also as well trying to get players who are there just at, the, at that time to sign contracts? Or is it just purely bringing players in or is, it, is your job to um, help that side of things as well? In, in England, what I got involved in, um, particularly uh, Fulham and, and more so even uh, likes of Norwich, the, the chief executive there, David McNally, he involved me in, in trading players. Um, and a big part of that was selling players, which is right. the hardest part of the game. You know, so How come? I, I, I would spend a huge amount of time, uh, particularly in the summer, Trying right. to offload players. Um, it's just hard know, trying to find them clubs. It was almost like a salesman. 
I, I was fortunate I had a good relationship um, with managers down there who would take my calls. But, you know, between May and August, you'd be contacting them numerous occasions, hoping the goalpost had changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can remember one particular instance where um, we had a player at Norwich trying to sell him, and, and, and I thought the chief executive was looking for a vastly inflated fee. And, and he taught me a lesson because um, be patient. And, and we ended up selling him to Coventry, who just sold one of their players. Um, and that, that was almost three months into making that deal. Fortunately, mm -hmm. Coventry sold their player probably a slightly inflated fee and, and then gave us more than market value. So mm -hmm. I got involved in that. I mean, now the, the situation where you get sporting directors, they, they would be more involved in the actual... Uh, contract extensions, what have you, of players that are already at the club, you know, and, and back in the day that we're referring to, like, so with Walter Narchi, Walter did that, as Alan right. Ferguson would do at that time at Manchester United, they managed the whole club, mm -hmm. but now there's, there's, there's obviously, um, you know, there's more people involved in that, and uh, the sporting director would be responsible for a lot of that now. So were you doing a lot of that uh, analysis side of it as well? Were you providing like, reports on the, the opposition as part of that role back, back in the day as well? Well, I, I, I did that from Graham Souness' day. I watched the opposition. Right. Um, and then I brought in someone to do that for me. Yep. Uh, I would do the European ones, mm -hmm. do the European reports. But um, what, what I did uh, after that, and, and including my time in England, I would have a specific person employed to watch the next opposition. Right. Um, with Chris, with Chris Hutton, um, we probably watched them twice. So I'd have the, the, the one guy that would do the final report, one of my regional scouts would do the first report, depending on which part of the country the opponents were going to be playing in. Right, okay. But yes, we... Uh... It probably, you know, as I say, we we didn't do it to the degree now where, um, particularly in the Premier League in England, you've got access to every game. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, there's no... You, you would send now probably scouts to games. They wouldn't do things like note down the positions at corner kicks. They would note the time because mm -hmm. you've got all the footage there that you can yeah. look at from every angle. Mm -hmm. and, and do you think... It What's your thoughts on that? Do you think we maybe overanalyze it now, like compared to back then? Do you think you could like, overwatch something too much, maybe? Well, I, th I, th I think um, the the game has changed. I, I mean, I, th I can see the absolute benefits of the, mm -hmm. the uh, footage and the, the access to um, footage because, you know, you, you were doing it on a wing and a prayer before where you're maybe taping goals from television and, and trying to slow them down and look at that. So all these things, even in terms of assessing a player, um, it's, it's a fantastic tool, but it's, it's not the complete answer. You know, and I think if you, you think that you're going to sign players on the basis of that, it's not enough. You do... If, you, if you're seriously... Um, contemplating signing the player, you would go and watch the warm-up, you'd watch his attitude in the warm-up, you'd watch every action that he takes in the game. And the other thing you would do is try and contact somebody that had worked with him to mm -hmm. find out about the character side. Yep. You know, and I think, when, when I think back, um, you know, particularly, as I say, with Walter Narchi, um, and Alec and, and Chris, of course, Chris Hutton. Um, you know, we, we would always be able to find somebody that um, had, had worked with the player involved because the problem now is, that, particularly in the Premier League in England, there's probably a bit of accountability going out of it. There's so much money that you can mm -hmm. afford to write off players that don't work out. Whereas yeah. before that, you were absolutely accountable. Mm. If you signed six players, you wanted six to succeed. Yep. Now, if a player signs in the summer, it's obviously, you know, looks as if it, it, it's not going to be successful. 
you can trade them. Mm. You, you find players signing for mega amounts in, in the summer and by January they're going back out and loan somewhere. Yeah. Mm. That's a You can write off that loss to a degree you couldn't before. Have you ever had it like come back to you in terms of, you know, you're speaking of that accountability side of things, but in terms of someone that you've thought would have been a perfect fit and then it's just not worked out at all? Is that yeah, it? but I never, I never run up to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 not, I'm not putting you on the spot then. It's a man, it's a man, it's a always in a bit of a sweat. But <laughs> I can assure you, likes of it. No. And, and, Dave, and David Murray's day, that, that there would be a comment made after maybe six or seven games, yeah. you know. Aye. That, that, uh, that, that somebody could be uh, could be performing better. What was sometimes the, it must be down to the environment as well, maybe in the culture. Maybe because sometimes it's hard to predict if they'll settle in, in terms of Glasgow or whatever it is. Very much so. I mean, I, I think that's the um, I think that's the, the the thing that you know it's become very instant the judgments. You know, particularly mm-hmm. at somewhere like the old firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, after half a dozen games, people have made their minds up. Now. That might be a player that uh, his family haven't moved, doesn't speak particularly good English. Um, in the last year, you've had all the problems with the pandemic where they maybe come in, mm. they're in a flat, they can't even go for a coffee or socialise yeah. with teammates. You know, and that's it's not, it's not, just, it's not just football, is it? Like, there's so many external no. factors. Well, it's, it's you know, if we, if we put ourselves in the position of moving to Italy or Spain, Mm-hmm. We, we'd expect a reasonable amount of time yeah, to settle in. Um, what about in terms of players that come up from an, like from playing the Premiership and stuff like, for example, like Joey Barton and things like these players come up and they're like big names in football and they've had successful careers, but when they come up to playing in Scotland, they sometimes it's quite it's quite common for players to really struggle. How well, how do you yeah, go about that then, like to try and get the players to settle? I think I think the thing is when you go to the old firm, it's it's not only ability, it's it's mentality. Yeah. You know, and, and the demands to win every game. You, you, you know, when it, when I think um when I was down in England, mostly we would come away from home, get a draw and it's a point gained. Mm-hmm. If Rangers or Celtic go away and draw a game, it's two points drop. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can remember Lee McCulloch when, when they, I was back with Walter and Lee was, uh, you know, grew up as a Rangers supporter uh, and he said to me at the end of the first season, the hardest thing for him had been the mental demands win every game. Mm-hmm. Whereas he come from Wigan, basically if Wigan finished 17th in the Premier League it was a successful season, you know, but the two, three times a week to go out and win Lee, Lee admitted that had been a problem for him, despite having yeah. a Rangers background. Mm-hmm. And po- possibly one or two do underestimate the size of both clubs. Um, See, Walter then, is, is, is that why Walter kind of bought no, a lot of, kind of Scottish players? Is that why you wanted like, Rangers supporters in his team? Because they, like, they understood the demand as well? Or is that, well, I, I, I think they, you know, when Graham moved on, Walter took over, and then there was the three foreigners rule. So when you're going into Europe, you're having to leave really good players out. So, I mean, he had the foresight with Archie to, to bring in the best of the rest, if you like, an Andy Gorham from Hibs, a Davy Robertson from Aberdeen, a Stuart McCall, who, who mm. qualified as a Scot. Mm. And, um, you know, that that had a, had a great impact. And those players, actually, the three of names stayed for seven years. Right. So, so you had that real stability, um, which yeah, is probably harder nowadays to achieve. I always, like, even when we came back to the second spell, we always kind of had a core Scottish, a Scottish group. Yeah. You know? um, not all Rangers fans, but they can kind of understood the demand and pressure. And I always felt as if that's what he tried to have in the spine, spine his team. Yeah, I mean it, the 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 first team, the nine row team, you know, it's exceptional that he had such a strong dressing room. Characters like Richard Goff, outstanding captain, you know, but a Durant, a, a McCoyst, and Ian Ferguson, as you say, fully understood. And and guys like Mark Hately, who still lives in the area, they, mm. they bought into it, you, you know, and, and, and became adopted Rangers, if you like. Mm-hmm. But um, second time round, I can remember the one 
window just after we reached the UEFA Cup final. And we had we had the one real window to bring in players, which was the last time in that reign that we really spent money, you know, and we, we, we brought in players, I think that window, I think we brought in Steve Davis permanently, Paulo Mendes, Pedro Mendes, I should say, Pedro uh, Kenny Mendes, Miller, yeah. came back at that time. Mm-hmm. That, okay. um, you know, that, that again was the core of a team that had a, a successful period. Yeah. Is it true that you said to Walter that he could sack you if it didn't work out with Stephen Davis? That's, that, that is actually, um, I'd been at Fulham, obviously, and Stephen was at yeah. Fulham. Um, I, was, I, I was actually friendly with his agent. His agent is Chris Hutton's agent uh-huh. uh, as well. But um, it was probably November time, December, and, and the manager just said to me, he said, we need to get more energy in midfield. need to get some legs in midfield. Stephen... Bizarrely, Laurie Sanchez was then the Fulham manager, and Laurie had been the Northern Ireland manager, mm-hmm. but Stephen was out of the team at Fulham. So all of the bits fell into place. Yeah. And, and I did say, I said, look, uh, Stephen Davis, and, and the gaffer said to me, I know him, but I don't know him. And, mm-hmm. and I said, well, if he, if he fails, sack me. And right. He says, are you that sure? So uh, he said, right, go and phone your friends at Fulham. By that time, I had already tapped Stephen and mm-hmm. knew that Good he was he was up for it. it. Yeah, right, brilliant. Like, look at him now, man. He's absolutely flying, isn't he? Considering what is, how old is he? Thirty six or something? Thirty seven next month, yeah, I think. Thirty seven next but, month. Uh, it's just, it's just a super pro. You get, um, I know. You, you just must just take care of himself and just. It's, yeah. it's crazy to see like these players that can't, they have got such longevity in their careers and they never seem to get injured or touch wood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. Especially yeah, as a centre, a centre mid as well. He, they they don't usually right. go, on, go on as long, do they? But I wouldn't even say he's like reserved. Like he goes into tackles. He's quite a, he is quite aggressive when, he get, like, no, eh? when he's pressing, yeah. chasing the ball down, stuff like that. So it's not as if he's like overly he's cautious. Or he's... I think I think the thing with him as well is, he, he, you know, in the international breaks, he's not getting a break. Yeah. He's, he's playing for Northern Ireland, who probably got 40% maximum possession. So mm. he's doing so much running there yeah. and pressing and closing down. But he's evolved and um, he, he just sees the game. The, mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I say about his, his last couple of seasons is he's, he just gets into great positions. Right, yeah. position. You, you know, takes him into great positions. The amount of mm-hmm. second balls Aye. that he picks up, his anticipation and reading Aye. of the game. Very good. first class. Second to run. So, see you and see this kind of thing on that this side that see when you worked with like Dick Advocate, was that different in terms of the other three managers at Rangers? Because like obviously the Dutch like did he have an eye for kind of Dutch players at the time? What was that like? What kind of work with a foreign manager? Yeah, I mean that uh, you you uh, said about a challenge, what's a big challenge? That 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 was a big challenge because it was so used. Um we did such stability with Walter and Archie. You you know, and as I say, you you know what type of player to look for, even going to scout the European opponents, you, you know what the key factors they're looking for are. Yep. So you had a way of doing things. Now, Dick came in and you realise it's Dick's way, not your way. Mm-hmm. So you have to adapt. And, um, you know, even even in terms of watching a game, he he would look at it from a different angle. Did he? But... Um, you know, it, it was fine. And again, um, I have to say, Claudio Arena is one example where we we had a deal in place. Or I, I'd come up with a player for, for midfield. We wanted another central midfield player in his first year. Went down to watch the player. Wasn't convinced. But the agent uh, was the agent of Claudio Arena. And uh, he asked me about the original player. I said, sorry, he's too similar to what we have. He said, well, what about another one of mine? He's playing in Germany, Claudio Reyna. Now, fortunately, as I say, I'd gone to, I'd seen Reyna three times by default. So I said, well, he's a good player. Mm-hmm. He's a good player. Now, I phoned Dick, and we were in a mid-season break in Florida, playing against the American national team the following day. Who's playing in opposition? Claudio Reyna. <laughs> so, so I said, there's a player there 
if you're asking me, I'd take him. Um, and, and I think it's just what we need in the centre of the park. Can also play right back. So Dick said, I'll look at him tomorrow. And he phoned me back after the game. He said, I'll take your player. I'll sign your player. Yeah. So, He's a top player. as you say, the, this, the, you know, you, you think of how close you, you are and were and are with Walter and Archie um, and Chris. But um, fine, you, you adapt to Dick, you adapt to Alec. And, and it's what the manager wants mm-hmm. that you have to you have to come up with. I suppose that's one of those skills you just need to be kind of good at is that adaptability then, working with different people? Well, the manager's the manager. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if the manager changes and they want to play a different system or, um, you know, have a different style of player, then you have to adapt. And, and that's it. So you, you might have a list of six for every position and have to rip it up and start to try. <laughs> Yeah, but you should have the experience to know yeah. uh, and come up with players of of that style. Brilliant, brilliant, love that. Right, so you and you can you speak more about your your biggest achievement in mine in a row at Rangers. Um, yeah. Moving on to our, our final question, then of the main bit of the podcast, we'll look at challenges. So you did speak a wee bit there about um, working with a, a foreign manager yeah. and. What, um, have you got any other sort of challenges that you faced as a scout in general over your whole career? What have you got, a kind of main one that's stuck out? Well, you, you know, you've, you've had um, experience in England where um, staying in the Premier League mm-hmm. is a massive challenge because the chief executive will come to you on day one and say, let's finish 17th. Relegation's non-negotiable. So if you're talking about £100 million, pounds, Mm-hmm. That's a challenge, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, fortunately, you know, by and large, we, we were successful in that. And at Norwich, I think we finished just around mid-table, which, given the size of the budget and the size of the club, um, you know, is a major achievement. You're finishing, you're finishing above some uh, some top teams. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it, it's an ongoing challenge. The, the challenge there is financial. As, yeah. as well as football um, but every situation you've been there's been a challenge because you're self-motivated yeah. you know and you've been in football all your days as a player you want to win as, as a scout you want to be part of a successful staff so every one of the clubs has been a challenge mm-hmm. so it's yeah, inter- when I said nine in a row that's unique because yeah. of, of you know the, your, your background and what have you and being there at that particular time was very fortunate. Yeah, it was iconic, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, what I was going to say then, so see in terms of like you mentioned there, like finishing 17th or so, have you ever had the case where you've brought in a player and that player that you've scouted has been the difference between maybe relegating and staying in the league, that they've been that pivotal player that's kind of saved it, or is that... Well, the, do you know that the, the, the only, the real instance was um, when we were at Livingston. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, and 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 we brought in a, a player called Cashul. Yeah. Now, when when Goffey and Archie and myself went to Livingston, from memory, I think it was something like twelve points. We were adrift, so we're given carte blanche to to go out in January. And Goffey was good enough. He said to me, "Look, you recommend them, I'll sign them." We brought in something like nine players, uh, and we brought in Hassan Cashul, who'd been at Southampton. Um, and was a level above. Mm-hmm. I th- think that four clubs were still involved right to the end of the season um, with the possibility of being relegated. We had Dundee in the final day, had to take a point. But um, So who went down that year? Uh, Dundee was on it? that final day. Was it? And, and it was, um, in all honesty, we couldn't get out our own penalty area in the last 20 minutes, let alone our own half. <laughs> but we got a 1-1 draw. Seven minutes of added time uh, and stayed up. But was that, was that a, a Livingston? In, yeah, a Livingston. And right. Cashul came, came in in January. I think he played 12 games and was responsible for 18 points, mm-hmm. either with wow. goals or assists. So, so that is one case where mm-hmm. um, you, you would say yeah, you know, the impact was ridiculous. Aye. Aye, so, so I take it you've been to kind of some exotic places. You've been to like South America. 
Yeah, the first year of Bosman, it really kicked in Bosman. I think I was in 17 countries in six months. But um, I mean, in, in those days, the manager, Walter, Archie, myself, Sunday mornings we'd be away, six o'clock, going to different games. I mean, I, I, I could be at that time, France Friday night, Italy Saturday, Spain Sunday. Wow. You know, and I mean, yeah, people think it's glamorous. Your only concern was flights being in time, yeah. making it to grounds, tickets being on, things like that. There's a lot of stress. But um, the, the one I remember was when we, we had uh, a Brazilian player recommended to us, and David Murray sent me to Brazil to see him four times in a month. And, uh, and I said no. I said Did no. And in all honesty, um, that is, is key. You, you know, you, you'd said to me before about would you give advice to any scouts? And the advice is have your own opinion. Mm. And, and if you're convinced, stick by it. Now, this was a proposed £10 million transfer. Um, so there was a lot of pressure on me to say yes, because you can imagine the excitement of Rangers paying that for a Brazilian striker when we'd already brought in the Newmans and Bronkos and Kurchelskis, that, that looked like the final part of the jigsaw. But mm -hmm. I saw the lad four times. He just wasn't what we were looking for or particularly equipped for British football. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to say he ended up going to France but was back in South America within six months. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's probably one I did get right. And, yeah. and in the process, saved a lot of money mm -hmm. uh, at that particular time. I was maybe just struggling being away from home, like kind of away from Brazil, maybe struggled with that side of it. Possibly, that, again, you, you referred to that earlier. That, that's yeah. something, you know, did he speak English? What was his temperament? And, and that was something in the games I saw where, you know, he, he, he was a bit volatile in terms of being tackled and... Mm -hmm. um, you wonder how you'd adapt to the physicality over here. Yeah, because we went to the Brazil World Cup. We didn't go to scout. We just went for the kind of <laughs> social side of it. But in, in the right. English, in the English, it wasn't great over there. Yeah, it was. I mean, the Brazilian league was a, a totally different type, of style of football to what, what you would come to in Britain. Right. So, just on the performances, you know. He, from memory, he didn't score a goal in the four games. Um, and, and, you know, that's a starting point with a striker, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know. Well, right. Well, that um, brings us off to the, the, the main body of the podcast, Ewan. So we finish yep. off all our podcasts with a wee quick fire round of three questions. Surely. So are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Right. To go. Okay, number one, if you could have a giant billboard anywhere in the world or in your hometown, what would it say on it? Well, pro probably be the the uh, team group or the squad group from Rangers now in the rock. Love it. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's the one that probably springs to mind. Brilliant. I, I would definitely have that in my hometown as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think there's uh, the night at Tanadice, we won it. Night I'm on one end and Archie's on the other end. And, it, and some of them will both be cut off. So it'd be, nice, it'd be nice to have a billboard with a full width. <laughs> <laughs> a, big, a big billboard. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair size, yeah. Right, brilliant. Right, number two. Which people or books have had the greatest influence on your life? Well, I, th I think probably my parents would, would be the, the answer to that. My late parents would be the biggest influence because they, they, they set you on your way and give you good principles and, and teach you right from wrong. Um, yeah, was your, in football terms, oh, on you, was your, your, Archie. All right, brilliant. Was your dad a football man? No, your, no, no, not particularly, but I mean, no. he, he came and watched me play, but right. um, you, you know, the, the uh, way they brought you up and the standards they set, yeah. absolutely, the huge, huge influence, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, can, I, can I agree more? Yeah. Uh, books, um, Strangely, probably a football book. Um, when Bill Shankly left Liverpool, 
he wrote an autobiography, which is, I'm guessing, over 40 years ago now. But it's still the finest football book I've ever read. And uh, just the passion comes off the pages. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. he used to say, Bill Shankly, natural enthusiasm. That, that, that was his key word. And, and I don't think that's changed. Yeah. You know, and, and, and being with people like Archie, who I, I see two, three times a week, Chris Hutton, um, Chris, you know, great appetite for the game. We, yeah. we, we actually got to know each other because we were always at the same games. And, and I think natural enthusiasm is the thing I took from, from Shankly's book. But uh, it's a very inspirational book for any football-minded mm-hmm. person. I think natural enthusiasm is important, isn't it? Like something you can't really develop. You either have it for something that you're yeah. interested in or you don't have it. You can't just, it's not something you can buy. No, I, th- I think it's a very natural uh, part of your makeup. And as, as you say, it's either there or it's not there. Mm-hmm. Right then, third question on the quickfire round. What final yep. piece of advice would you give to a young scout who's looking to get a breakthrough in that line of work? Well, it's, as I say, it's a bit different now because I think people are coming into the game now with degrees and, and probably, you know, the analytical side of the, the game, they, they would know far better than me. Mm. But for, from a football angle or somebody that's maybe finishing the, their career, um, natural enthusiasm, get out to games, you know, be prepared to graft and get to games, have your own opinion. Um, yeah. I, I go to games with Archie now and he probably still tests me so you have your own opinion um, be organised uh, and always have that backup list of players because you know I've, I've, I've had instances in my career where you're looking uh, at priority position I can remember one time at Fulham where um, pre-season we're looking to bring in a front player and then suddenly we had a crisis with two goalkeepers injured in the one training session. First game of the season against Birmingham on the Saturday, immediately drop everything and concentrate on goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, you have that five or six names at your elbow. So there's a starting point. Yeah. So I, I would say always be organised to have names uh, at the ready. So would you have five or six names each position then, just in case? Always had that, yeah. Always had that. And as I say, you you know, you're saying about going to games, games where there's no absolute immediate um, player that you're watching, but there's maybe somebody emerges from that. Put them on the list. Get your scouts to check them out. So it's it's an ongoing process. Mm. And what you'll actually find is there may be somebody that's on your list gets it transferred somewhere, doesn't work out, a year down the line, you're going to that backup list. And and what wasn't um, going to happen, now the time is perfect and, and, and you can bring them in. So, yeah. you know, fans, and I, I, I think probably society now likes everyone to be instant. Yeah. But sometimes um, a bit of patience, yeah. you know, and, and, and the player wrong time, but it can be the right time a year later. Um, yeah, so you and just lastly, and you must have heard a few rumours for Giovanni bringing in in January. Oh, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've no idea, to, to be honest. Uh, honestly, no idea. And I don't think you, I don't think there's a lot you would, you, you'd Wasn't. particularly change at this time. Mm-hmm. I know. You I, know think, I think we've been really lucky to keep keep a hold of like Kent Morelos. There's so many good players that we've actually not not sold what's that? Well I, th- I think the key player now is Aribo. I think Aribo's your best player. Aye, what a goal um, that was on Sunday. <laughs> super touch and finish. I, I, I think that is your um your, your the, the player that you know is a priority to hopefully extend his contract. Mm, no, but I, th- I think January's a difficult one too and um if your your team's doing reasonably well you know, you probably don't need to do too much. You don't want to upset it too much, do you? No, I, I mean... Especially when you're in a good run of form. As I say, the likes of Stephen Davis initially was a January one, but that was a tweak. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and I've, I've had similar situations with Chris and, um, you know, where, where we've maybe just needed something 
Uh, I can remember at Brighton where Glenn Murray was target from day one and you're just waiting from January to, to get him in because that, that's the centre forward you need. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you, you want to do the bulk of your work in the summer because you've got six, seven weeks to, to work with those players. Yeah. Um, yeah, see, have you ever had to do like an injury crisis, like just like loads of injuries at one time, like and then had to bring people in in January? You, like? you have, and you know, again, that that's a key because sometimes subtly you might bring a player in, loans particularly effective, knowing yeah. that you really haven't any intention of making it permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, although <laughs> players can surprise you, but you you might have to do something in a crisis. And you're thinking, it'll tide us over, but uh, come the next term. window, we'll do the permanent one. Yeah. Y- you know, and as I say, uh, the, the perfect um, perfect scenario is getting players in, in the early part of the summer transfer window. And then you have that six or seven weeks to, to get out and, and go on tour and to get in the training field and shape your team. Mm-hmm. And, and even, as you say, with foreign players, it gives them a level of time to settle in and yeah. probably get a house and uh, you know start to start to know the new environment. Well, you know, that was brilliant. Thanks very much for, for coming on tonight and chatting to us about all things scouting. I really appreciate no, it. That's absolutely great. Not a problem, a pleasure. Thanks again for joining us in this week's episode of the podcast. We hope you've been able to take something away that you can implement into your practice or life. If you regularly listen to the podcast then why not leave us a review to let us know how we're doing and where we can perhaps improve that way we can take action and further develop the obo podcast until next time we hope you have a fantastic week take care